we've been in this closer series now. This is the sixth week. I think we've been talking about closer and we're doing, we're talking about spiritual disciplines. And so, um, I did a survey first service and they didn't really, didn't really perform very well. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping second service has paid attention like the last couple of weeks. So we started off the disciplines two weeks ago, specific disciplines. Does anybody remember what the first discipline we covered? Skip can't say it. What would you say? Read the word, be in the word of God. We talked about how the standard doesn't change according to culture, but the standard is what it is. It is the word of God. So just because you raise, some of you raised kids in the 60s and 70s, raising kids in 2022 doesn't mean the standard changed because all of a sudden there's TikTok. Some parent out there say, amen. Just because there's TikTok doesn't mean the word of God changed. So the standard is still the same. It's the thing we judge ourselves by. We don't judge ourselves by each other. I could be better than you and still be awful. Some of you will get that when you get home. But anyway, we judge ourselves by the standard that God put in front of us. And then last week, does anybody remember what we talked about last week? Prayer. But we linked it back to the word of God that it is it can be extremely confusing to pray without having a standard by which to pray from. And so meditating on the word of God, being in the word of God and, and meditating on it, thinking deep thoughts about the word of God and what it means and how it applies to my life. And then what happens is in that process of reading and meditating, all of a sudden I start to speak the word of God back to God. And that's what we call prayer communication. So if you're an introvert uh, in here today, then you've really enjoyed the last two weeks because you can do it all by yourself. Isn't that cool? Just like, man, I finally was a part of a church that's not gonna force me to be friends. I can, I can read the Bible by myself. I can pray by myself. This is the church for me. This is amazing. We don't have to like anybody. We can just pray and read the word. It's a really good circumstance. And then you came this week. So can I just say this up front? Spiritual disciplines are called disciplines because it takes discipline to accomplish them. This actually has nothing to do with your personality. God didn't say to the extroverts, please have fellowship with each other. To the introverts, never go around each other. That's, you don't find that in scripture. You find an equal amount of solitude and fellowship throughout the Bible. If you look at Jesus's life, he spent a lot of time with the disciples and then he spent time without the disciples. Hey, where are you going? I'm going off by myself. What are you doing that for? Cause you're irritating me. That, that was my version, but that, but Jesus did go off by himself. So what happens is if we lock ourselves into our personalities, what they currently are. And by the way, if you've been friends with anybody, any length of time, you know, personalities actually do change. So if you lock yourself into your current mindset about personality or the way you think, or I'm an introvert or I'm an extrovert, then you're going to miss out on some very important spiritual disciplines. Because if you're an extrovert, like I typically am, except on vacation, I love people until I'm not supposed to love people anymore. And I get, I get a couple weeks out of the year where I don't have to love anybody. She comes with me. 
But just because I'm wired like that doesn't mean I get to exclude solitude from my life. So if you're an introvert, just because you're an introvert doesn't mean that you can just go in the woods and lay down for a week at a time and be like, I'm close to Jesus. Fellowship has to be a part of that recipe as well. And so we're going to talk about that this morning, fellowship, what it actually looks like, who's included in it, how we may be getting it wrong and how we can do it better. And as the writer of Hebrews says, make sure we're doing it better, even more so as the day the Lord approaches. So we're going to talk about this more, that this morning, fellowship, the spiritual discipline of being a family and having fellowship with each other, what that means. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet for honor of reading the word. This will be the last time you stand up until the end. So don't get nervous if you're new. We're going to read from Hebrews. This is a pretty famous verse in scripture that preachers use to enlist more attendance on Sunday morning. Just being honest with you, but I don't think that's what it means. So we're going to look into it. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 24. Just read two verses. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. You can read it on the screen. You might've brought your Bible with you. If you have a phone, you have a Bible in your phone. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24, say amen if you're ready. I think Berkeley Springs said amen too. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we pray that we'd be a better family than we are church attenders. Lord, we pray that we would fulfill the the prayer of Jesus and that we'd be as one as him and the Father are one. We pray, God, that we'd learn how to take care of each other and to be a part of each other's lives in important ways. And we pray, Lord, that if people see us loving each other, they will believe that you love us and that we, they will believe that we're yours and that you would be, get the honor and the glory for our relationships. Let the whole world see what, how you've changed us, changes our relationships. Thank you for it, God. Change us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. The discipline of fellowship is one without question requires us to engage with other people. As I said just a second ago, this scripture is sometimes manipulated to get more Sunday morning attendance. The, the King James translation of the, of the scripture says something like, do not forsake yourselves a gathering together, even more so as the day of the Lord approaches, something like that. And, and I've, I've heard like, like, well, you, you have to, you know, brother so-and-so has been missing a lot of Sundays, you know, the day of the Lord's getting close. And I think, I think if he misses three Sundays in a row, we can just mark him off of the day of the Lord. You know, that's going to be a bad day for him because the writer of Hebrews said we should not neglect meeting together on Sunday morning at 945 to listen to Pastor Chris preach 
And then you better leave some offering. (laughs) And we reduce it down to that. As if coming to church on Sunday morning is real fellowship. The writer of Hebrews says, Consider how to stir each other up to good works, encourage each other, and don't neglect meeting together. He's talking about a real fellowship of people, a real, a real bond between people, a real family bond between people. And the writer of Hebrews is encouraging that. And at the end he says, make sure that you keep doing this all the way, even more so as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So I want to, I want to just make a clarification about who gets in this group. Can we do that? It would be important if you're going to be family to know who it was. Don't you think? You ever go to the family reunion, somebody gets the family tree out and you're like, I didn't even know I was related to them. Wow. This thing's got branches everywhere. It's important to know the qualifications to be in the fellowship. Because after all, maybe, maybe you graduated from college with a certain degree and now you're in a fellowship of accountants or a fellowship of engineers or a fellowship of, of teachers or, or whatever. And, and, and you inherently know that the reason that you got into that fellowship was because you held certain credentials. Isn't that, isn't that kind of the way it works? You, you, you hold certain credentials that get you included into the group of people. Now, if you're part of the gang, you might've got jumped in. I don't know if that's a good thing for Sunday morning. Like, hey, come to the new visitor section and we got a jumping in process that you can be part of the church. I want to make sure you're going to persevere. The problem is, is I think a lot of church doesn't under, really understand and embrace the qualifications to be in the group. Because after all, there's really only one qualification to be in the group. That, that's it. It's, it's not. Matter of fact, Jesus made it so stupid simple that it's hard to believe the church screwed it up. The one qualification to be in this fellowship that we just talked about is to have saving faith in Jesus Christ. Period. Period. That's it. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter who your parents were. It doesn't matter what you did before that. It doesn't matter what you did before that. Some of you need to stop worrying about what you did before that because now you're in the fellowship. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your politics. 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 It doesn't matter. Is anybody embracing this yet? It doesn't matter your politics. <laughs> it doesn't matter your view on masks. It doesn't matter your view on the pandemic. It doesn't matter. Your, it doesn't. It, it, all that matters is, it, is that Jesus has washed you clean with the blood. You know what the irony is, though, is that the church is really good at segregating. Now, there's a traditional segregating of races and all that stuff, but we're even better at it than just that. We segregate by age, don't we? Well, we've got to have a young adult group because you know young adults don't like old people. That's just a fact. And old people don't like young adults. 
So we split them all up. I'm not saying we shouldn't have kids in ministry, but that shouldn't be the only place the kids fellowship with the church. Uh, We separate according to music style. As if God loves our music better than he does a church that plays country music or gospel music or whatever music you want to throw in there. So we separate according to that. We separate by geography. We separate by, we're just really good at separating people into groups. And so what happens is the church, the church becomes this narrow-minded, narrowly focused, and we, and we reduce fellowship to Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes because it's just super easy to define. I meet with the same group of people for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning and we had fellowship together. And if I, if that's your definition of fellowship, I don't ever want to be a part of your family where we're getting together. Well, Bill, you got about an hour and 15 minutes. Grandma's going to sing a song and granddad's going to say something important and I'm rolling out. When you, when we describe it that way, it sounds odd that we would even call it fellowship. That Sunday morning, we've reduced fellowship down to an hour and 15 minutes where you walk in the front door and the greeter says, hey, how are you? And you go, good. When in reality, your life could be crumbling before you. And yet, because you know you only have about 45 seconds with that person, I'll just go ahead and say, good. (laughs) Then we come in here. Corporate worship is important, I'm telling you. I believe in it. I believe in coming into a group of people of like-mindedness and going, God, all these people need you just like I do. And it's refreshing when all of us cry out to you at the same time. There's a reason that he called us to do this. And there's a reason that we sit down. The, 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 The disciples dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. The first century church dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. So it's important to sit down and have the word have the word disseminated for us and, and sit in front of people that can teach us. That's important as well. But we better not make the mistake of calling it fellowship because I don't see a lot of fellowship going on. I see a lot of people staring at me. There's not a sharing of needs on Sunday morning. That would be weird and confusing because I would be preaching and then you'd be passing each other money and like, hey man, you can, get, you can buy more lawnmower this week. So we need to know up front that Sunday morning is a very reduced down idea of something that God wanted us to expand on. And so what has happened, which, which humans are really good at splitting up into groups. We're pros at it. So what happens is we let our humanness come in to the church and we say, well, these people look like me, act like me, think like me, talk like me, and and they have the same values as me and they like the same sports teams and they have the same political views and they're not wearing masks and, and, um, and and all these things come together. And now I'm going to sit with them for an hour and 15 minutes and we're going to call that fellowship and I'll walk out. I don't have to think about it anymore. And that's not what the Bible wants us to do. That's not the heart of God. And so if we reduce it down to Sunday morning, then we miss a whole bunch of benefits. We miss a ton of benefits that the scripture sets in place for us. First John one, seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what was the requirement? One thing, walk in the light. 
If we are saved, if we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then Galatians 3.28 says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So if you're saved, you're part of the fellowship. And once you become part of the fellowship, none of your personal characteristics are, are to be used to separate you from any other part of the fellowship. That's why it's so unbelievable that I get to jump in a plane. The, I booked my ticket this year. I'm so excited. My wife brought home some spices the other day. It smelled like Kenya. And I went. <sighs> May 26th, I'll jump on a plane and I'll fly 7,000 miles to Nairobi. I'll get off the plane. I'll embrace a man who speaks five languages, doesn't look like me, way smarter than me, grew up in a village, and yet we have fellowship. Why? Because he listens to the same music I do? Absolutely not. No, because we know we've been both washed by the blood of the Lamb. And I can walk into a town, and we can have a pastoral seminar, And I can speak through a translator and a person who I've never met before, never laid eyes on before, doesn't know me, doesn't know my family, doesn't know any history. I don't know anything about them. And we can embrace each other and support each other. Why? Because we both meet the criteria. We've both been saved. And the whole Bible, Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, man, I need you to open your eyes up and go like this. Because this gospel thing is bigger than the people that look like you and make the same kind of money as you. This gospel thing is bigger than Hedgesville. This gospel thing is bigger than the United States. It's bigger than your politics. It's bigger than your job. It's bigger than all those things. And by the way, all it takes to get accepted into it is Jesus. That's why political seasons make me so frustrated because we start questioning people's salvation according to which box they check. And I'm telling you, I'm getting to the place now where I'm like, I don't even care because Jesus can clean up whatever political misunderstandings we have. But if I start saying you're not in the club anymore because you believe this, this, and this, About something that's not even in scripture, by the way. Or you're not in the club because you live in a certain place. You're not in a club because you don't make enough money. You're not a club because you don't hang around the right people. I seem to remember that Jesus always included people that other people wanted to exclude. There's a Samaritan woman at a well. And Jesus walks by, confusing the disciples. Why would we do this? One translation, I remember growing up as a kid, he says, I must needs. And I thought, why didn't he just say, I have to? But I would hear old time preachers say, I must needs go to Samaria. So Jesus goes to a a Samaritan woman who has been living in perpetual adultery most of her life, married multiple times. The guy she's living with now is not married. When all the other disciples would say, there's a better way to do this and it doesn't include her. Yet Jesus would go to the well, sit down, have a conversation with her to the point where even she asked, why are you talking to me? 
He said, if you knew who it was that sat in front of you and asked you for water, you'd ask him to let you in the club. You'd ask him to fellowship. And so at the end, so you get through the conversation and she says, yeah, but you guys do this and we do this. And the natural human segregation part popped up. And he said, listen, lady, I'm here to tell you that one day it won't matter if you're on the mountain or you're in Jerusalem. Because Jesus is not about excluding people from the club, but washing people free from sin. And when he does that, you will worship in spirit and truth. Everybody, no matter race, no matter how you talk, no matter what you make, can come together and worship worship like this. You don't have to be able to climb the mountain anymore. Man with leprosy comes up to Jesus. Could you imagine the shock and awe on the disciples faces when Jesus starts walking towards them? They had been trained since they were kids Stay away from the unclean. It doesn't matter if they're Jews or not. Stay away from their unclean. Could you imagine the shock to their system the first time Jesus walks up to a man with leprosy and touches him and says, be healed. Imagine the, the dinners he has at tax collectors' houses with good Jewish teachers of the law And scribes sitting, watching, going, how can you eat with people we have excluded? And he gave us the secret to the whole thing. I came for people that wanted to be included. They were sick and they needed a doctor. And he showed up. You're obviously doing fine. This is who I came for. So the church has to broaden our horizons. If the church embraced the idea that everybody that proclaims the name of Jesus is worth having fellowship with, the world would look different. The world would look different. But man, we've been duped into like, well, this is our music. This is the way we do it. And this is the way we do it. And, you know, these people and these people, these people. And we've, we've just, because we reduced it to Sunday morning. We reduced it to Sunday morning and it's such a fraction of the way God wanted us to live together. It's anything but just Sunday morning. Acts chapter two, verse four, 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the, and to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. They sat down and listened to the apostles teach. That's a good thing. I'm not saying don't come on Sunday morning. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Hey, it's a good thing. (laughs) They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And here's where the rest of it comes in place. And to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Can I just tell you that can't happen on Sunday morning? Can't happen on Sunday morning. It says they did devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. But then 
you find out what a real definition of fellowship looked like. They started eating together and having people in their homes and learning about their issues. Listen, if you just show up on Sunday morning, you can insulate yourself from everybody else's issues. You start having people over for dinner and you're going to find out what they're in. Amen. They might not tell you the first time, but I bet you if you have them over five times for dinner in the next month, then you're going to find out something sooner or later. You're going to find out maybe more than you want to. So we show up on Sunday morning only and we say, man, I wish I knew how to help somebody. Have them over to your house. You'll find out how to help them. Come over to my house. You'll find out my truck still doesn't run. You may find out somebody needs to borrow a lawnmower. You may maybe find out they need help with their kids. You may find out their marriage isn't that great. You may find out all kinds of stuff, but you can't find it out on Sunday morning. It says they devote, they did devote themselves to the apostles teaching, but this fellowship, this family existed way past that teaching. The teaching inspired them to live that way. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, They're selling their own stuff and providing for people. He said, do you really believe that? Like what's yours is mine, mine is yours. I don't believe in it like I can just take it from you. But I would hope, I would hope that if I needed something and the people around me knew I needed something, they'd help provide it. I have a friend, he's a believer. I'm driving his vehicle right now. Because uh, he, he called me, he heard about my truck and he called me. And he doesn't even go to this church, by the way. If any of y'all have a nicer vehicle than the one I'm currently driving, I'll let you d- <laughs> uh, do it. But anyway, no. Uh, I, I'm, I'm having this, I, listen, I hope you know, I'm using this illustration, but my wife will tell you, I'm not laying in bed at night going, oh my, what are we going to do? I'm fine with it. Like, I'm thankful to God for what he's provided for. I'm thankful. I'm not upset about it. I'm thankful. But it's just one of those things in life. You have mechanical problems or mechanical things, so I've been okay with it. But my friend found out about it, and he called me, and he said, Hey, man, I've got this, I've got this thing just sitting at the house. Why don't you come? I said, Man, I don't need it. You know how it is. Yeah, I don't need it. I'll, we'll be fine. Because I'll be honest with you, it's just a little too below me to take somebody else's. I mean, come on. I'm a grown man. So you know what happened? I turned him down on the phone. I said, we'll be good. The next day he texts me and says, it's sitting in your driveway with the keys in it. I didn't drive it until I had to. And I texted him. I said, man, you don't know what that means. I appreciate it. We ended up needing it. And, and I thank you for it. And we took him to lunch the other day and I said, listen, man, I really, really appreciate you. You didn't have to do that. But we're friends and he found out. I didn't call him up complaining. He just, he found out. We're friends beyond Sunday morning. Come on. And if the body of Christ can't operate like that, then there is no body. If we can't, if we can't take what we have and leverage it for what other people need, then what's the point to call us a fellowship? 
If you need something and I have what you need, but I'm unwilling to let you have it because it's mine, then how can I actually say we're treating each other like a family? Like if one of my kids needs something, come on church, if one of your kids needs something, you're going to sell whatever you got. I mean, unless they're like 50, you're like, dude, it's been, it's enough. (laughs) It's enough. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? This thing's past Sunday morning. This thing is all of a sudden we're taking care of each other. We know what each other needs because we're breaking bread together. We're finding out what each other's stuff is. We're not, we're not meddling in each other's stuff. We're providing solutions for each other's stuff. Boy, there's two different things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all become ever, became, came upon every soul. And the wonders and signs were being done throughout the, through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Don't go home and say, well, Pastor Chris told me to sell everything and give it to other people. I didn't say that. I said be in relationship with people close enough that you know what they need and then help provide it. The other thing the writer of Hebrews says, says you're automatically better in a group. This is going to, if you're an introvert, this is going to be hard for you to, to embrace. But let me tell you something. As good as you think you are by yourself, you're immediately better with a group of people. I mean, come on, you go all the way back to Genesis. God himself said it wasn't good for man to be alone. And yes, we're talking, he's talking about spouses there. But in general, if you look from Genesis all the way forward, we're, we're designed to be with people. We're automatically better in a group. I think the, the, the beginning of that scripture says, let us consider how to stir each other up to good works. Let us consider how to stir. Is that how it says? Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Let us consider. You know what the most beautiful thing about a family is to find out somebody's thinking about you. I love that to find out when I didn't realize it, when I was hurting and nobody knew it to find out that somebody was actually thinking about me. This doesn't say, Hey, just stir up a bunch of junk and try to get people to do. No, it says, consider, consider, come on. Have you ever laid in bed and just started thinking about, man, how can I, man, I know they're going through it. I wonder how I could help them. That's that's spending mental energy considering how you can benefit another person. Now I know how many, how many pot stirs are in the room? Just go ahead and be admit, admit it right now. We'll get forgiveness for it. We'll let you back in. Pot stirs. You just like stirring stuff up. You're constantly thinking about stirring stuff up. Uh, you're the perfect candidate for this. You're already thinking about them. Just change your motivation. Just change your motivation. Instead of thinking about how you're better than them or how good, how you're going to get them, start when they pop in your head, think, Lord, how can I stir them up to love and good works? I love the term they use there, stir. How can I, how can I consider how to do this? I need to spend some energy thinking about my friends. How can I make their life better? I'm going to consider. Can, can I, can I just give you a little window and how technology has made this unbelievably easy, unbelievably easy. Technology has given us a really good 
efficient way to do this to start out. I have made it kind of like a, an unwritten rule in my life that if somebody pops into my head, like just, I start thinking about them. I automatically assume that's from God. Because why else would I think about you? That was stupid. So no, but if if you pop in my head, I'm, I'm like, God, you put that person in my head today. So I will pick up my phone and I will text them. I was thinking about you. I just want to let you know, I'm thinking about you today and praying for you. Now there's probably 200 people in this room going, you never texted me. I don't have your number and you don't have my number, but I could be thinking about you, but I just might not have sent it because I didn't have your number. But if you get a text from me randomly, it's because God put you in my head and I considered you and I decided that a text message would be an efficient way right now, something I could do tangibly right now to stir you up. Just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. Praying for you. Do you know how close the church would be if we just did that to two people a week, three people a week, four people a week? Just when God, God, let me consider somebody today. When you wake up in the morning, let me consider somebody today, how I can help them be closer to you. Lord, let me, let me consider whoever you put in my mind today, consider how I can stir them up to love and good works. I want the best for them, Lord. And I know they're busy today and I don't want to take up a lot of their time. They're probably at work, but Lord, I'm just going to send them a little text message saying, Hey, I was thinking about you, praying for you. Like, I think God has something good for you. Just want to encourage you today. You don't even have to type it. You could say Siri. Check what it wrote though. Cause you could be, you could be sending a blessing, but end up cussing them. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you mumble a little bit, Siri will get that. Stir each other. Consider each other. You can't do that on a Sunday morning. You can't do that in an hour and 15 minutes. It means that you take the fellowship seriously when you start thinking about people in the fellowship when you're not around them. It means if we have dinner together, then three days after we have dinner together, you're still in my mind. After we've hung out together and I find out your need, I'm still figuring out a way to meet it. We're family. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, you're better when you're in the group because now we get to stir one another up. Now we get to encourage one another. Now we get to, now we get to figure out what each other needs and provide it and all those things. And by the way, can I just say to you right now, there is no room for defensiveness in families. The family's reaching out to help. Don't get defensive. If somebody's trying to stir you up a little bit, I don't need your help. Yes, you do. We all need it. Can we just put it down? We all need it. We all need it. As much as I can say on the phone, I don't need your vehicle. I'm good. I'll just, I'll just walk. I'm pretty strong. I'll make it happen. Man, I'll make it happen. I've been praying the prayer of faith. God's going to just bring me a car out of nowhere. What? what? God was bringing me a car out of nowhere. Just too dumb to see it. 
Why would I get defensive? Why would I act like I didn't need it when I do? We're better together. And he says, even more so as the day of the Lord approaches. Even more so, we're better together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He's saying, listen to the church of Thessalonica, you're doing a good job of this, but I want to encourage you. Keep building each other up. Keep encouraging one another. If you know the people around you care about you, let them stir it up. Let them stir it up. Don't be defensive. And then I want to leave you this one last thing. The longer it goes, the more we need each other. The longer it goes, the more we need each other. Let, let me say this. If we allow culture to reduce fellowship down to an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning, church, we have already walked through a season where that's not allowed. We have already walked through a season where even in the United States, I'm not talking a conspiracy. I'm not, I'm not even judging whether it was good or bad. I'm just saying we've already walked through a season where we couldn't meet together for an hour and 15 minutes. And so if we reduced, I'm part of the body of Christ to, what's that mean? I show up at church on Sunday morning. I listen to the crazy preacher and they've had flashlights all over the place and blow smoke in my face. I'm part of the church. I even volunteer with the bratty little kids every now and then. If that's what we reduce it to, we have just walked through a season where we realize we may not get that. And if you think the culture is moving more towards we should meet on Sunday morning, you haven't been paying attention. So how does the gospel go forward in other countries? How does it even work when you, when you go to countries where you cannot legally meet on Sunday morning and proclaim the gospel? How does it even work? Because they understand real fellowship. Hey, I can't meet you on Sunday morning, but you can come over to my house. I, we can't meet on Sunday morning, but we can meet in the basement. Can't meet on Sunday morning, but they can't stop us from meeting together. And all of a sudden, in those type of countries, the gospel flourishes. The fastest growing gospel in the world is in countries where you're not allowed to have Sunday morning. And I want to say, man, maybe they figured out what it really looks like. And in America and in the West, it is dwindling as fast as a candle can burn out. It is burning out as fast as it can because we've reduced the family to Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes. And the writer of Hebrews says, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the closer it gets to the coming of Christ, the more you need to be in each other's presence the more you need to be plugged into each other's lives because there are going to be times where you're going to have to take care of each other. And it's not about not being tough. It's not about not, it's not having it together. It's not about not being successful. It's about we all walk through seasons where we need somebody else. And if I'm already plugged in because I've been washed in the blood of Christ and because the people I'm around have been washed in the blood of Christ, if I'm already plugged in, then I get the benefit of that even if we can't meet together on Sunday morning. Thinking about my kids, even though they, two of them, do not live close to us, they still get the benefit of being part of the family. 
My friends in Kenya get the benefit of being part of the family, even though we're 7,000 miles away. I got friends in Belgium that get the benefit of being part of the family because they've been washing the blood. And what I'm saying, church, is we need a fellowship that is closer to what Jesus described it as, to what Jesus modeled it as, than this Sunday morning little experience for a little while because there's gonna come a day where the Sunday morning little experience won't do it all. And we're gonna need each other to bear each other's burdens up. When you fall in a ditch on Wednesday, Sunday morning ain't gonna get you out of the ditch. It's gonna be somebody you had dinner with on Tuesday. And they're gonna walk over and they say, you've been washed, I've been washed, and I'm gonna get you out of this ditch. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. If you fall into a hole and there's nobody there to pull you out, you're going to stay in the hole. But God set it up so that we wouldn't have to be alone, so that you wouldn't have to go without, so you wouldn't have to live in misery, so there was design for the family to come around and go, we got you. It doesn't matter what you look like, how you talk, how much money you make, who you voted for, if you've been washed by the blood of the lamb, we got you. And it will change the world. Stand to your feet. My prayer is that God would open up your eyes a little wider today. What does a family really look like? What does a fellowship of believers really look like? What does it look like to consider other people? What is it? What does it look like that the gospel is over the whole world and people that I I don't even have anything in common with, but we're family? What does it look like? God, help us model that in little Hedgesville, West Virginia. Help us change church culture. Help help us change it. And Lord, we pray that it would look more like your original church. It would look more like your original church. God, I pray that your spirit will work through us, Lord. We'd open arms wide. Not just for the way, not just for people who fit, Lord, but for everybody who proclaims your name, their family, Lord. And we pray that we consider them. We consider everybody in this building and everybody outside of this building that loves you. We consider them today how to stir them up to good works and love. Thank you for it, God. We make that promise to you. Come on, church. Make that promise to him that that you'll expand your thoughts today. You'll start considering people and how to help. Can you do that today? Come on, lift your voice. Give him some praise this morning.